Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. And you can reach us at our website, www.nkofcoc.com. And now that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. My name is Jacob Taylor. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp. And those two are the evangelists at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. As we continue our study of the life of Christ using the harmony of the Gospels, we're now today talking about the first miracle. We find it in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And it is truly a momentous event. And we'll be turning our attention to that. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What business do you have with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he tells you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The head waiter called the groom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the guests are drunk, then he serves the poorer wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his sign Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, Cana of Galilee was the location of the first miracle, or the beginning of the signs that Jesus did. It is generally believed that Canaan was a small village located about about three hours' journey northeast of Nazareth. Historically, the village was rather insignificant. We don't find it mentioned in the Old Testament anywhere, and it's not mentioned even in the words of the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. It was just one of many small villages located in the region of Galilee. So the first miracle occurred not in the city of Jerusalem, where it would have been witnessed by the greatest number of people. It did not even take place on the crossroads of the small village of of Canaan, Galilee. The first public miracle took place in the relative privacy of a wedding feast. Yeah, you know what? Of course, the first thing that jumps out to us is uh, is this question of uh, Mary turning to Jesus, saying they have no wine, uh, as if. Uh, I mean, I guess Jesus uses a uh, makes a response here, which is somewhat difficult uh, to uh, discern based on the very many number numerous interpretations or translations that are given. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, It it can sound almost as though uh, it was a little sharp, uh, but however we understand it, we need to understand that Mary, uh, she 
recognized that Jesus was going to do something uh, in order to help this woman with the occasion uh, that they were in. Because immediately following, uh, she says to the disciples, whatever he says to you, do it. I understand this essentially to be, uh, this isn't really our concern. This isn't the time for me to, uh, to make myself known, but perhaps uh, for your sake. <laughs> yeah, and don't you find it kind of interesting that uh, this miracle uh, taking place at a wedding feast as it did uh, teaches us a few things, I think, about Jesus that may not be readily apparent. But looking at the wedding feast, his presence at a wedding feast, I think, demonstrates a couple of things. Number one, the honor with which Jesus viewed marriage. He did not view celibacy as an inherently better situation to be in than marriage. Indeed, in revealing the will of Jesus, the Holy Spirit made it clear in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, that those who forbid marriage were teaching the doctrine of devils. And secondly, the wedding feast was an occasion of joy. It was an occasion of happiness in which Jesus readily participated. Jesus was not a withdrawn aesthetic. He took part in the innocent joys of life, and his participation in such sanctions them as being good and pure. Being a follower of Christ does not mean a life without joy or a life of continual and constant denial of anything of a physical nature that brings happiness. Being a follower of Christ actually enables us to enjoy to the fullest the pure and innocent things of this life. Yeah, you know what? Uh... With that, the psalmist agrees, uh, even pertaining to the joy of, uh, of the blessing of, of wine or fruit of the vine. As it says in Psalm 104, 15, that uh, he brings forth wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make his face shine. Now, I understand there's a uh, Jewish uh, saying uh, that the rabbis quoted, which was, Without wine, there is no joy. And so this, this, is, this would be tantamount, uh, probably even more significant than a wedding today that uh, basically had no wedding cake or, uh, you know, we've lost power and there's nothing to eat. You know, it's like, th this, is, this is not okay. <laughs> it would put them in a very bad situation as far as uh, societal norms were concerned. Yeah, I, it definitely would be an embarrassing situation for sure. I, one thing that struck me was, again, the faith of Mary. We've, we see a lot of her faith, um, especially so far, and we're in the relative beginning of the writings of, of Christ and his time on earth. But I, I think her faith is just amazing, and it, it would strongly appear that she doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. Verse 5 saying, whatever he tells you, do it. It doesn't clearly from that phrase, seem like Mary knows Jesus is going to turn this water into wine. But I think it's just an amazing thing. And it reminds me of Abraham believing that God could raise Isaac from the dead, is that God or Abraham hadn't seen this happen before. This hadn't been an event that had occurred 
in in biblical history so far, um, and yet Abraham believed God could do it. And I think it's again Mary didn't know how Jesus was going to do this, but knew that Jesus could do something. Um, and I think there's application for us there with with her faith as well. I think you make an interesting point. Mary knew he could do something. I don't think she knew exactly what he would do. But that tells us something, as you mentioned, of the faith of Mary. She knew Jesus could do something. You know, Jesus later in John, uh, which is a gospel where seven signs are given to us that point to who Jesus was. Uh, Jesus teaches us how to interpret signs. For example, when he feeds people, uh, he, he points to himself as the bread of life. When he gives sight, he points to himself as the light of the world. In this instance, he says this beginning of signs he performed in Cana of Galilee. So my question would be, what does this sign point to? And uh, I think one of the things that would help us with that is to understand uh, what uh, the Old Testament uh, says about uh, the lack of wine. In Jeremiah 48, verse 33, uh, when God speaks of his wrath against a nation, he says, Joy and gladness are taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. I have caused the wine to fail from the wine presses. No one will tread with joyous shouting. No, not joyous shouting. So, I think one of the things we need to see is that lack of wine was indicative of a, a removal of God's blessings. And, and so what is the sign then that when Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing that he does is to create an abundance of the best wine that was available. It signified that the joy and gladness and goodness of the Lord was was here and just as the psalmist says in chapter 23 he makes my cup to run run over and isn't that the experience that we have if we're in christ that he has filled us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places excellent points i want to spend a little time talking about jesus's response to mary woman what does your concern have to do with me my hour has not yet come I think there's a couple of things that we that we can that we can see from this statement that are apparent. First of all, wouldn't it seem to indicate the time of his subjection to Mary was over? His work as the Messiah was beginning. And secondly, the time, the hour to reveal his full work had not yet come. I guess it was not yet time to reveal his messianic claims. It was not time to reveal, at least to the general populace, his power. But yet, and this tells us something about Jesus in a quiet way, the need that his mother had expressed to him was going to be taken care of. And again, Jacob, you had referred to Mary's faith. I think it's when she says whatever he says to you, do it. That shows an incredible amount of faith. In, in what Jesus could do. Again, I don't think she knew what he would do, but I think she did know what he could do. Yeah, I think just the her faith is just absolutely amazing and, and knowing, and certainly she had treasured the things that have happened in her, in her heart 
before, um, and we've covered those earlier on in the um, prior chapters of the, the Gospels and the chronological order as much as we can find it. And I think it's just am- amazing to continue to see Mary's faith. And I think even as we get further into the story, to see the example and the evidence of the, this beginning of this the signs and that Jesus has, has come and that the work has, has started. It's just beautiful. It, interestingly enough as well, in the Catholic Church, there is the doctrine of transubstantiation. And that says that when the priest takes the host made of unleavened bread and says, this is my body, it really, truly, and substantially, that's a quotation, becomes the body of Jesus. And when he takes the fruit of the vine mingled with a little water and says, this is my blood, it really, truly becomes the body and, or the blood of Jesus. I find it interesting that when Jesus changes the water to wine, it did not retain the physical qualities of water, but it changed. And you could actually see the change, you could actually taste the change. Without a recorded word from Jesus, that water was changed. And in, in the absolute sense, we can say, really, truly, and substantially, it became wine. And the evidence that that had occurred was the fact that the wine was now there. It wasn't something that had to be accepted on a basis of faith. It was something that occurred, and they could physically taste it, touch it, see it, smell it, and so forth. The governor of the feast pronounced the wine to be good, better than that which originally was served. So I just think it emphasizes once again the reality of these signs that Jesus performed and this one being the beginning of the public signs. And it shows again difference between Jesus and those who are not exactly following what Jesus had to say. Yeah, that's a really good observation. Uh, I'm interested in these uh, six water pots of stone that were used because I wonder why he didn't just use the vessels that they had been using and just refill them. Uh, Why, perhaps he's after making a, a bit of a point here about these vessels because it says that they were used according to the manner of purification of the Jews. We haven't seen this yet, but we're soon going to see that Jesus does not think very highly of this practice of ritual uh, purification and cleansing. You know, the Pharisees ask, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And he just, he rebukes them and calls attention to their hypocrisy and their traditionalism. Uh, so this may, there may be a point here where Jesus is uh, taking these uh, these pots out of play, almost as if to say, uh, "We're not going to need these anymore." I'm I'm here. Uh, cleanliness is not about what enters into man, but what comes out of the heart of man. So just take these pots out of use. Get them out of play. That's an interesting thought. I never thought about that. Yeah, I th- I, one thing that jumps out to me at this story is is the servants. I think. Um, certainly we know that obviously Jesus knows that this was a miracle and the, the servants know and you can imagine them listening to Jesus. They fill up these, these pots we just talked about with water 
Um, and Jesus tells him to draw it out and bring it to the, the head waiter or the, the governor of the feast. And I think you can imagine them just bringing this and it's, it's just water to them. Um, but they taste it and he had not didn't know where it had come from. And it was wine, but the servants knew. The servants knew that it was water. I think it's just an amazing thing of for them um, to, to have done that, and they could have had the attitude of, what in the world are we doing just filling this up with water? And then he sends us to go and go to our superior with something that's likely going to disappoint. Um, and it, 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 well, it didn't end up that way. It was actually better than the, the prior wine that was served. I think just in the amazing story and, and again it was something that not many people knew was a miracle like if it was done in Jerusalem for example we we just know that the servants know and obviously Jesus knows this was a miracle we're not it's not indicated that anyone else um, knows at least at this point that this was a miracle I think it's just an amazing um, and intentful way of, of doing this this act don't you think it also indicates again that the the blessings of Jesus, are for everybody. I mean, this wasn't done in, in a great big setting uh, with a whole lot of fanfare. It was done at a wedding feast in a tiny village with normal people. And let's look at John chapter 2 and verse 12 because we see a change take place there. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers and his disciples, and they did not, or they did not stay there many days. After performing that first miracle at Cana of Galilee, Jesus, Mary, his brothers, that would be his physical brothers, and his disciples went to Capernaum. Now, at this particular time, Jesus does not move his base of operation to Capernaum, but eventually he would move his base of operation to Capernaum in the Galilean ministry. Uh, Nazareth was isolated. Capernaum was more centralized and, and more accessible. It was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, about two and one-half miles southwest of the point where the River Jordan enters into the sea. We'll have, be seeing a lot more about Capernaum as we continue our study in the life of Jesus, and particularly when we focus our, our attention upon the Galilean portion of his ministry. Now, Greg, just one more thing before we leave this uh, account of the water to wine. Uh, you may be familiar with some signs or miracles that are taught that Jesus performed even before this instance, like in his childhood. Uh, however, I just want to point out that the scripture clearly says, verse 11, that this was the beginning of Jesus's signs. You know, you make mention of the miracles performed in his childhood. Yeah. There is an apocryphal book out there called the Gospel of Peter, and it contains all kinds of fanciful ideas, Jesus making taking a rock and creating it, making it a bird and having it fly away, all sorts of little things like that that uh, are really just simply not so. Or if they are so, God certainly didn't see to reveal them to us in what was an apocryphal book, that being the gospel according to Peter. 
Anybody have anything else? Okay, well, let's bring this to a close now because we the next thing we see, the next major event in the life of Jesus is the first cleansing of the temple. And that's going to take a little while to talk about and our time is, is running down. So again, we want to thank everyone for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. We hope that you are enjoying this study of the life of Christ. And if you are, we encourage you to tell other people to listen to it. And you can contact us uh, by going to our website, which is www.nkcofc.com. And there's lots of information that can be found there. So for this particular time, thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.